something really stood out yesterday as we started our series for this Christmas season titled The Gift of Hope. And I think it's, you know, as I went into preparing the sermon and the series, I, I really thought hope was going to be a one-week message in the season of gifting. And what I began to realize was hope is the entirety of this. It is the gift I think that the world needs right now, that I think that one that the church should be handing out in abundance if we truly have. And I'm I'm going off the scripture. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. See, we talk about joy and peace a lot when we talk about the Christmas season. But where do those come from? It's hope. This God of hope. God is hope. And the biggest takeaway, as we talked about yesterday, uh, of the perfect timing of God's hope. You know, we we struggle sometimes with uh, hope because we do it out of a place of hopelessness. There's so many times I hear Christians on social media or whatever it may be, depending on in the middle of the elections or here, you know, locally in our community, we had a recent shooting. Uh, We've had a school club that brought a whole lot of questions up in our community. And what I found was Christians that out of a place of looking at and reacting to the world around us, what I found was a sense of hopelessness. There's a hopelessness now, so does God take me to heaven where their hope is? And I said, man, that's such a broken mentality that we are called to be hope. And if we encounter these hopeless situations with a feeling of, yep, it is hopeless, let's just leave, then we've missed our moment to, to be game changers, to be different in the situation. And this speaks exactly to this scripture. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace so in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This joy and peace, this hope comes out of it because we carry joy. We found joy. We found peace. And these situations of hopelessness don't affect that. Our joy and peace are not determined by these situations, by these circumstances. Hope is not birthed through hopelessness. However, hope can exist within hopelessness. I see you. Yeah, you. Flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases? Or one-size-fits-all, quick-fix schemes that never seem to fit? My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. I really had it in my my mind that I was going to preach this series called A Season of Gifting. It sounded really good. And then I got studying for hope this week, and I realized, okay, hope is a big, big message. So we've shifted and changed now, because otherwise I think we were really limited hope. And this sermon series is going to be titled The Gift of Hope. Because I believe today hope 
is the single most important thing needed in the world around. You can talk about love, you can talk about peace and all the things, but I believe if we truly find hope, all the other things will be added unto us. Jesus said, seek you first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. I think what the kingdom of God represents today is hope. Read with me. We're going to start in James 1, 17, 18. I have a couple passages and then we're going to get right into the Word. James 1, 17, 18. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. A beautiful statement of fact by James here after he's talking about a lot of things in man and the evil of man and all the things. But he said, do not be deceived. He said, know that every good gift and every perfect gift is from, a, from above. Coming down from the Father and there is no variation or shadow due to change. I want you to hear that last part. There is no variation due to change. See, God does not change, therefore, who He is or what He brings will not change. Romans 15, 13. The Scripture's really been with me lately. Seems like it comes up time and time again and as we're talking about hope. But Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. See, we find two of the fruit of the Spirit right there in that, that assessment. And what we talked about earlier was love. The world needs love. Yeah, that's a fruit, right? Joy, it's a fruit. Peace, it's the fruit of the Spirit. All the fruit of the Spirit. So I believe this is a declaration. May the God of hope, who God is, and the kingdom of God is who He is. It's His very nature. Amen? It's not God is this and His kingdom something else. He is who He is. So he is the God of hope. So that is what the kingdom represents. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And the last piece I want to read to you today is Romans 15, 1. And it says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now I want to read the, I just want to really take the first three, or first four, five, six, seven words of that passage. I want to get into where we're at today. And it is we who are strong have an obligation. I'm going to put a potential period right there. We who are strong have an obligation. Because when we talk about hope, I think one of the biggest things we have to understand today is how many of y'all turn on the news and there is just a hopelessness to the news? Anybody? Nobody? Just me? That's why I don't turn on the news. There you go. Why? Because there's a hopelessness to it. Hopelessness is financially good. Because if they can get you to a pace of hopelessness, then the advertisements that they show every, uh, I don't know, 15 minutes, 
seems like every two minutes, gives you hope to something. Um, who they invite on to give you an interview with at the right time, depending on which news you listen to, gives you hope. Hope is found in what they offer you. This is why the message of hopelessness is so fruitful in the world. Depending on who you vote for, hopelessness of your finances can be fruitful. Not for you, but it's fruitful for someone with an answer. I had a young man, I don't know if he's in here, he came in here and we were talking, this new guy, Zach, came today and we were talking about um, finances. He's like, man, if we did this, this, and this, we could solve the, the financial problem in the world. I said, that's the problem. The world doesn't want to solve the financial problem in the world. Why? Because they lose power and authority over you when you do that. Can you imagine a world with no debt? It will never happen. Let me just go ahead and free you from that. If that's the hope you were looking to get out of this message today, that's not the hope that God provides in the world system because there is a certain amount of power, control, and authority that is exerted over you through debt. Welfare system is great, has a good heart behind it. They have zero desire for people to get out from under the weight of welfare. It was meant, I believe, by somebody, a thought, an idea, with good intention. However, there are people who are trapped in welfare with zero hope of getting out because the people who keep offering it to them don't want them out of it. I know, I'm just talking about some hard stuff this morning. Is, is this okay? These are the things we have to understand because when we understand that the world we live in is hopeless and with cause and for reason then we began to see a comparison and contrast a perspective of what we need is a kingdom of hope. I want to give you this definition today. Hope. Hope is this, to desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. To desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. In other words, I have hope because I expect it to happen. I expect to be fulfilled in this. So now you begin to look at the hope that the world offers you, the hope with a very limited time frame, an expiration date, whatever it may be. Yes, this is going to be good for a time, but it ain't always going to be good. Why? Because I'm going to need you to need something else down the road. So there's not ever a fulfillment. There's a constant carrot on a stick, if you will. And we begin to chase these things in hope, but it's not really hope. The next definition of hope is to expect with confidence. In other words, what you're offering me is exactly what you say. Now, I want to talk to you a little about this over the span of four weeks because I believe this is where the hope of the church has to become extended, stretched, bigger. Because the very first thing we do when somebody comes in and gets saved is we give hope in what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Man, we love that, right? That's so hope-giving. I have a confidence today out of all the things in this world, 
everything could go wrong. We could take a hard left and end up in a ditch somewhere, falling off a cliff. I could be broke tomorrow. But I have assurance in my heart. I have hope that I'm going to heaven. The problem with the hope in the church is everything else is hope. See, our kingdom mindset is kingdom of heaven. Up there, out there, in the future, that's where my hope lies, and I'm just dwelling in this hopeless place. Anybody ever feel like that? Yeah. See, the problem is, everybody else notices it. I just received something this week and just talk about the hope. And we're going to get into scripture. Talk about the hopelessness of the world we live in and how it affects us. Because here's what I found if you have hope in you, the hopelessness around you will not affect you in the way it affects everybody else. Because you're not grasping or trying to get hope from something, you have an assurance in your heart of the hope that exists. Think about the two things that just happened in our community over the last couple weeks. You may not have heard about one of them, but if you're a parent, I'm sure you have. The first one, a week and a half ago, a shooting in our Walmart just down the street. I'm telling you if, you, if you turn your news, I didn't hear it and we didn't hear about it until the next morning and we heard the news and we began to hear as it grew and grew and the, the people who were involved and the, the why it happened. And then before you know it, we hear about this 16-year-old young man. Just started working there weeks before it happened. And because of someone's delusionment, hurt, brokenness, because that's what it all comes out of, we want to be angry at this person, but realistically, everybody in this room is struggling with something, and somebody's been pushed to a space of isolation where they make this decision, not understanding the effect or not caring the effect, blinded to the effect it has on everybody else. See, that's a place of hopelessness and I've, I've witnessed too many church people in that moment on social media or just through conversation that everything I hear about it is hopelessness for the situation and hope in a future. And you know what? Hope in a future doesn't give anybody hope in the situation. The church is very good about giving these churchisms all the time. How are you doing today? Oh, I am blessed and highly favored. We know how to just spit it out. It, it just rolls off our lips. Everybody's got a saying that they say, right? And it's moments like these where there's hopelessness. There's moments like this where this occurs, and everybody around the church should be the first one to stand there and be willing to listen, not to just give a churchism, because we'll quote Scripture and we'll throw it at you, and there's hope in Jesus, and they're like, yeah, but you don't understand what I'm going through right now. But there's hope in Jesus, but you don't have a 16-year-old son that you're laying to rest who worked here, but there's hope in Jesus. Because we have a hope but we can't provide hope. Then this week is a letter that went out to B.M. Williams' parents. You haven't heard this? Man, I have... There's sometimes I just want to jump out of every Christian circle on social media. Because in the midst of something like this, there is so much anger and hurt that's projected on people. In the name of the Lord. Moments like these where people use the name of the Lord in vain and don't even realize it. Just this week, 
parents at BM Williams got a letter come in or an email that came out that said this week, just wanted to give you a heads up, there is an organization that's starting an after-school club called the After School Satan Club. Yeah, it's real. It's gone on in other states. This is the first one, I believe, in, Ch- in Virginia. It happened at BM Williams. I want to read you <clears throat> what this club represents. Let me get back to my, my text. Andrea, I'm reading the text in front of everybody. She just happened to be the one to send me. I had it somewhere else. <clears throat> this flyer. Hey, kids, have fun at After School Satan Club. Science and community service projects, puzzles and games, nature activities, arts and crafts, snacks, and tons of fun. Sounds good. Parents, your child will learn benevolence and empathy. Critical thinking, problem solving, creative expression, personal sovereignty, compassion. The Satanic Temple is a non-theistic religion that views Satan as a literary figure who represents a metaphorical construct of rejecting tyranny and championing championing the human mind and spirit. After School Satan Club does not attempt to convert children to any religious ideology. Instead, the Satanic Temple supports children to think for themselves. Satan Clubs are based on activities centered around the seven fundamental tenets and emphasize a scientific, rationalist, non-superstitious world view. In the post they put on Instagram, it said, join an, envi- join an environment free from threats of eternal damnation. See, this is what I want to get to today because there's two words that jumped off of that page to me. Empathy and compassion. The one that jumped off to a lot of people was Satan. Satan club. What I've got to in a place in my life is when I see a post like that, I said, what am I not doing as a church that positions somebody to to speak like this, to offer something that I'm not offering that should be coming from me? The hope that I have in me should be putting me in a place that I offer empathy and compassion, especially in a place like just two weeks ago when there was shooting like that, that I can give empathy and compassion. I can sit down with somebody and listen, that I'm not just trying to shove church, not trying to shove salvation down somebody's throat in a moment of weakness, I'm really listening and setting and just being there. And the way Jesus did, Jesus would just go and set with somebody. Salvation came through relationship and conversation, but it was always a place of looking and listening to the person he talked to. And what I found in this Instagram post or this email that goes out was the enemy is using what the church is not, and he's giving a counterfeit version to the world. Hopelessness of eternal damnation, our hope. The other end of that is hopelessness. So now he stresses on the hopelessness and offers a counterfeit version of what we should be living and giving out. Are you all with me? So we go back to Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Abundance means not that, well, I have this hope and I just got to hold on to it because I got to get to there. I believe in believing and watching God fulfill that place, it flows backwards. An abundance of hope begins to come out of us and we begin to live in a space 
of hope, a space of kingdom assignment to the world around us. Not to preach, not to yell, not to scream, but to be an acting, living participant in the hope that we have been given. Today I want to talk about the perfect timing of hope. And I'm going to connect you with uh, the Christmas story. But today we're not going to talk about maybe the areas we've talked about before with um, Mary and Joseph and Jesus. I want to connect you to another child that was born, another space of hope that occurred through this story. And through the next couple of weeks, we're going to get more into the Christmas story. But I I wanted to first connect you with this thought, this mindset, this place of hopelessness, to understand the world that we've been called to live in. Because everybody loves to read Jeremiah 29 11, right? What does it say? God has, has a plan for you, a plan of a future and hope, right? Future and hope. We love that. But right before that, what we fail to see is if you only get that scripture, it's printed on your computer screen or it's on a bumper sticker on a t shirt. That was delivered to a group of people who were in a hopeless space. They were in Babylon, in captivity, been exiled from their own place. They're living in this other world. And right before that, Jeremiah, he tells them, I want you to go, Alan. I want you to thrive in this community. I want you to pray for them. I want you to be active, involved in them. I want you to take wives. I want you to have jobs. I want you to be a blessing in the midst of this hopeless environment a space where you don't have dominion, I want you to thrive because I have a future and a hope. And if that's who you are, if you are who I say you are, then you end to operate differently. You're not affected by the hopelessness because you have So now, at the beginning of the New Testament, we find the children of Israel all over the place and they're controlled by hopelessness around them. Even the Roman Empire is pretty much control of even their own land. So they're operating in it, but they have zero control of it. Pretty scary place, especially for the children of God. So Luke 1, and we're going to read through a couple of passages, and I'm going to kind of read, but also just tell you the story Luke does an amazing job of telling the story of the birth of Christ and the events surrounding it. But today I want to talk about Zechariah. So we've all heard the name John the Baptist. And Zechariah was his father. And Zechariah was a priest at the time. And him and his wife, Elizabeth, were very up in age. Tell me this isn't a story we've heard before if you know the Old Testament, right? It's funny how, especially... Zechariah, as a priest, knew the Old Testament, and they were very open age and wanted a child, but hadn't had one, and probably had just come to terms that they couldn't have one, right? Funny how we know the truth and know the word, and then we just stop praying for things because, well, oh, it's just not for me. And he's like, but I did it for Abraham. Why wouldn't I do it for you, right? But I think the beautiful thing today I want to talk to you about is the perfect timing of God. Because as we read this story, It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest. This won't be on the screen, but it's on your phone or your Bible. But I also want to encourage you, if you're taking notes, go back and read these passages. Romans 15, the entire chapter, not very long. And then also Luke 1, 2 and 3, start reading the nativity story over the next couple of weeks. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division 
of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now I want you to read this next part with me. It says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Very powerful, yet you just, this is where you get in the Word sometimes and you just gloss over something real quick. Like this is all just building up, right? We want to get to the place where Zechariah is sitting there talking to Gabriel, the angel, right? That's, that's, the, narr- that's the story we want to hear. But there's so much mm, meat packed into this one statement that I want you to hear today. Because hope is this. <clears throat> hope is not... Let me back up. Your hope lies in that he will always be at the right place at the right time, not that you hope to be. I'm going to say that again. Because I want to explain, I'm going to say it in a minute, because I want to explain this to you. So, Zechariah, I got military people, right? We're on duty, got these duty rotations. And so I was in the Navy on an aircraft carrier as a nuke. It was every four to six days. So you get on a rotation. Every six days, I'm going to be on duty. I have to stay 24 hours. And then on my duty days, I'm going to have a certain amount of time that I'm going to be stuck on watch. So usually it's about 12 hours, that 24 hours. I'm going to be down there standing watch. So it's kind of like the same thing in this place for Zechariah. His, his group of priests, he's in this duty section, if you will. And this is the day they're going to have the watch. And on top of that, it says, not only was his division on watch, and he was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So then, even on your duty day, so for us, we had a lot of scheduling. Where's my military people at? You had some schedule, right? You knew before you got there what watch you was going to have. In my less than admirable days, that's when I knew what time I had to leave the club the night before to make sure I had plenty of sleep ish to operate the next morning can you pray for me i'm a work in progress god loves us anyways we had a schedule so i knew before i went in unless something changed unless somebody didn't show up i knew what watch i was going to have to stand before i ever walked in there but in this space we find the lot or we find the the priest had a division had a duty day they had to be there this day and in that it says lot was thrown so in other words when they got there they threw lots, and this was a way, by chance, of you just throwing lots, kind of like picking straws, right? You pick one, Zach, you pick a straw, oh, you get the long straw, you're burning incense today. So you could come in and never do incense because your lot never gets drawn. Now, there was a belief that God ordained which lot you got. I'm of the mindset today, maybe that's true when you begin to think about this story as it is. You know, God's done other than they roll it or however they did it. I don't know how they cast lots. They did it in some way. And okay, Andrea, you get this. And Jennifer, you get this today. And I want to burn incense. I've never got to burn incense. I'm always stuck taking the trash out. But I think it just some, God was like, make sure. Anybody know when the last time that we see in the word that they stopped casting lots?
That's right. When they chose the last disciple. Why is that? We're going off trail here, but I want to connect you with truth. Why is that? Because in the next moment, they end up in the upper room and they have the Holy Spirit. So now they're not casting lots because they're listening. I'm not depending on casting lots to my hope anymore for my direction, for my guidance. Now I hear straight from God. <clears throat> I don't know that they, we don't ever see them casting lots when Jesus was there either. They trusted Jesus. But in that moment where they didn't have Jesus, they went back, okay, this is how we'll do it, and we'll get it. Then, Holy Spirit came, we never hear about it again. The thought. There's something about having this Holy Spirit to help us, to give us hope, direction, got it. Anyway, so we find out this day, they get to work, Zechariah, they cast the lot, Zechariah's the one burning the incense. So he goes about his business. Your hope lies in that he will always be at the right place at the right time and not that you hope to be. See, this is where we struggle with hope so many times in the churches. Well, I just hope I'm going to be in the right space to, for Jesus to use me. And I just hope that I could say the right words. And our hope lies in our, in our, our, our fear that our inability will fall short and mess this God thing up. You ever felt that way? Like, man, I hope I don't mess this up. God... I hope you just give me a chance, but I really hope you give me the words. And See, even in our prayers, there's a hopelessness to it. But there has to be an assurance in hope that he will be at the right place at the right time, regardless if you are. Because this begins to free you up. Otherwise, the moment you get that text or that email that this club's going on, the moment that you turn your news on and you hear another hopelessness moment, the moment you turn your game on and maybe your team, that's different, but there's so much hopelessness out there. Maybe your team's the one that really takes you down. The moment you get a phone call from your family and everything's going awry and it's the same family member that always gets messed up, you're like, oh, there's no hope for this family. Can this person not get right? There is a freedom that occurs in your spirit to say, that's not what my hope lies in. So I can't lose my hope right now because I know that God will always be at the right place at the right time. So then we begin to shift and say, God, how can you use me through the hope that I have in you to be a difference maker right now? The perspective, the filter, everything you're hearing goes through a different filter than one of hurt, brokenness, shame, fear of failure. Because of His perfect timing. Because it just so happened Zechariah was there burning the incense that day. Lots got tossed, here he is. So then, and the whole multitude of people were praying outside of the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Oh, Zechariah, fancy meeting you here. <laughs> Chance, I guess. A little bit of luck. Didn't expect you, but hey, I have a word for you. Not how it works. There came a word specifically for Zechariah. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. See, this is the space of fear that we should have. <clears throat> this is not a fear of hopelessness. This is a fear of hope. This is the statement, knowing that Jesus is Lord, there's a certain amount of fear that comes with that, a fear of power. And I know this is, no, well, that's not the Jesus I've heard. He's love, grace, and mercy. There should be some fear in our spirit because of who we have access to. 
of who we serve, of the power that he has. See, I think this is where we miss it a lot of time, like, well, Jesus wouldn't do that, and I just don't think it's that way. That's hopeless. That's, if that's such a limit, why do we have hopelessness in God? Because we don't understand the power and authority that he has. Therefore, he's on the same plane as every other trouble in our life. Well, you know, I got to go through all this stuff and oh, I could die tomorrow and I could be broke tomorrow and my marriage could fall apart tomorrow. It's like, <clears throat> yeah, what kind of God do you serve? Like a good idea, God? Like, he's a good father, but, you know, devil's right there. He's on my shoulder right there with him. Like, you don't know who I serve. You don't know who is my guy. The fear fell upon him, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. See, the hope that comes, the hope of God, will give you peace and joy in believing. <clears throat> so in this moment, angel shows up to Zechariah, and he says, <clears throat> I've heard your prayer. I'm going to give you a son. I don't care. It's done. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. I didn't sing it, but I could have. Promise has been made. Why? Because he heard his prayer. He knew his heart was in the right place. There was the right place at the right time on God's perfect timing, not Zechariah's, not Elizabeth's, but God knew the plan that he needed John to do something amazing in this world. He knew what he had promised them, and he gave it in the perfect time. So the prayers had been heard, years of prayers, lifetimes of prayers. But it was in that moment, right place, right time, not because Zechariah was at the right place and right time, but that God was, that he gave him this word. And he said, your prayers have been heard. I will give you a child. Man, that sounds awesome, right? Everything I've been praying for, God, you showed up. An angel appeared out of nowhere and said, this is what you're going to have. That, I cannot, I still cannot fathom in the Bible how many times People have these moments like this and then just lose their mind in the next two seconds. Children of Israel walk through a riverbed with this big river around. They get to the other side and like, God, will you not give us anything to eat? That's hopelessness. That's a hopeless mindset. Like their hope wasn't in that God took them out of this place of slavery, did all of this to get them to the other side, and now I'm just hopeless. Like there is no excuse. There's no expiration date on the hope I can give you. I'm not just solving one of your problems. I am here to solve all of your problems. Why? Because I need you to be a voice of hope in a place of hopelessness. Zechariah, I'm about to do something in you and your wife that everybody else has said is hopeless. And you have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So we go down, <clears throat> and Zechariah said to the angel, oh, here it is, y'all ready? And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. I love how he said that, right? He did not call his wife old. Even in the moment of ignorance, there's still wisdom. Because he didn't want the same angel going back to Elizabeth like, yeah, your husband said you was old. But she's advanced in years. Very, very politically correct. I love it. But in this moment of promise, angel appearing, he has fear. There's 
there's hope that maybe this is right. This angel appeared at the right moment. But then, even in him, there's a bit of doubt. For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, <laughs> you know, he never took the promise away <clears throat> that he made to him, that God made to him already. He'd already made that promise. This is where you know the hope of God lies. When he gives you a promise, he doesn't just snatch it away from you. Sometimes it gets a little harder. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. <clears throat> because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. <clears throat> your hope is not limited to your timing. It's guaranteed by His. I want you to think about that for a minute. Your hope is not limited to your timing. <clears throat> Zechariah and Elizabeth Had almost gotten to a place where they had just exhausted themselves <coughs> and just assumed that it was over. It was time was done. Kids are off the table. We move on. <coughs> Somebody grab me a bottle of water. Thank you, boo. In their mind, their limited understanding, this is the end of it. I, I, I can't move on. See, there's so many times that people in church even we've been in church our whole life or maybe we, we got out and sowed our wild oats and did our thing and Men or wife in Peabody's. I don't know why this came up a lot today, but maybe you've been in Peabody's and you've just been praying over that place and just know that there's hope. <laughs> I can tell you, when I walked out of that lifestyle, and I, even when I got back into church, even feeling the call of preach early in my life, and effectively, in my, what I limited saw was <clears throat> wasting 20 years of my life in the military and not doing what God had called me to do. And then I felt this call to preach again. They called back in. It's like, okay, I'm just going to be, eh, I'm not going to do anything really. I'm just going to minister in a small group or all this. Because, God, I've wasted my life. I, I, the best years of my life. I can't do that at 44. I'm, I'm not a young man. That's where all these, the church is going. They need these 20-year-olds and skinny jeans. He's like, no, you can be 40 and wear skinny jeans. I said, okay, Lord. <clears throat> but we all struggle in this place of feeling like we fell short. We didn't answer the call at the right time. <clears throat> and he's like, no, Zechariah, I'm not worried about your time. My hope doesn't depend on your timing. My hope depends on my promise. I can still use you. And because if you trust my timing and the hope it provides, the hope bomb will be bigger than what you could have had. You could have had kids at 20 and there could have been a little hope bomb go off. But now that you got it, when your wife's advanced in years, the hope bomb's going to be bigger. And here's what I need you to know, Zechariah. I need to shut your mouth because the hopelessness that still exists in your character, in your mouth, in your lips, is going to affect the next nine months that's about to occur. <clears throat> I need to whoop, close you up because this hope bomb is going to go off. It's going to be crazy big. And I need you not to be able to do anything to close it off, to downplay it or any of that. I just need you to be in a position to make it happen. This is my prayer in the church today. God, shut some mouths. Close off some hopelessness that's coming 
from the fountain of the church. Because it's occurring whether we like it or not. Oh, woe is me. The world is a lost place. I just want to go to heaven. Come take us now. You've just canceled hope for anybody that doesn't have a valid ticket signed. I don't know what that feels like. I don't know who you're praying to. I don't know what this hope is, so I must not have any hope. Oh, it is hopeless. The world is lost. The world is broken. I'm going to close your mouth, Zechariah. Because I need something to occur in you. I need something to occur in you that somebody may know. I need Romans 15 to happen. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Evidently, Zechariah, you're still weak and you've been told you're strong. You've been a priest. You're, you're supposed to be by position strong, but there's still a weakness in you. So I'm going to make sure I position you with everything I can to make you strong so that you can bear with the failings of the weak. I look back over my life and there's moments that I could have preached hopelessness. I did preach hopelessness, even from this pulpit. Not this one, but other ones. But I've gotten to a place in my life where I don't want to do that anymore. Why? Because I know a God of hope. And He has an abundance of it. And it's the moment He started doing things in my life and undoing things in my life, I have a call to stand up here and say there is hope for you. You've not gotten so far you can't get back. You've not messed up the timetable so much that you can't get on His timing. We fast forward to the end of the story of just this one, not the end of the story, but we find on the day that John was birthed, Zechariah is still quiet. And in this culture, the dad would name the child. <clears throat> and more times than not, the child was named first, especially, could be named after the father. That was just kind of this, you know, we, we do this kind of even same today's culture. So there were some expectations. Even in this, see, the hope for a lot of people, the expectation for a lot of people was based on what they'd known, what they'd seen, what they'd heard, what had happened before. But in this space, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Ooh. Mama, what are you talking about? Don't you know women don't open their mouth? We're not in that kind of church, so watch out. I'm just taking a stand. You don't have the right to speak. That's the father's job. You know what? Father messed it up. He is in no space to speak right now. I told him, and he questioned. Come back the next two, three weeks, and you'll figure out why Elizabeth had a confirmation in her spirit to speak up. We talk about joy. That's just a little pinpoint right there. You've got to come back next week now. It says, and called Zechariah, but his mother answered, no, he should be called John. Instantly the crowd around her, and they said to her, none of your relatives have called by his name. That is not what I expected. That is not 
what I was confident was going to occur. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted to be called. Zechariah, come on, give me some sign language or something. Elizabeth's about to mess this up. You better talk. You better say something really quickly. There is a hopelessness that's coming. Your lineage, your name, it was going to be gone. It's all about you. You've messed this up. What are you doing? Say something. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing Last thing I want you to hear is your time of listening will present your time to speak. Zechariah, I don't need you to speak out of reaction. I don't need you to speak out of response. I don't need you to speak because everybody else is saying this situation's hopeless, because you think this situation's hopeless. I want to position you through a relationship and a time with me to understand that when it's your time, I'll open your mouth. I know it's a little early for me to be closing up shop. <laughs> what I know about the Word, <clears throat> what I know about what God does and undoes, in the earth is that the times of extreme hopelessness in the world he puts hope in the world but look at the prophet the further the children of Israel got away from what they were doing he sent a prophet to bring them back and they were in this constant place of bouncing back and forth and but then he sent Jesus <coughs> purpose for Jesus was that we would always find hope now. See, those 12 men that walked with Him day in and day out, even experienced Him intimately, there was moments of hopelessness. Remember when Lazarus died and they were going back and the first thing, I think Thomas said it was, Lord, you know they're they're out to kill us, right? We're going back there. He's like, do you, do you, you still not know who I am, Thomas? Are you still reacting and responding to a fearful world? He we, even went as far to begin to outlay to the disciples, this is how you're going to die, Peter. Let me remove that hopelessness away from you. Let me remove that fear from you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dot your I's and cross your T's. I've given you purpose and calling, and I want to remove every tool the enemy has to remove hope from you. You will die. This is how it's going to happen. Now, what are you going to do with your life from, then to, from now till then? I think that's the question he's trying to get in the church today. 
You've made this commitment to me. I've promised you that, but what are you going to do from now till then? How are you going to carry hope in places of hopelessness? 1 Peter 3.15 Be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. See, the two things you have to understand is God is faithful, loving Father. All the things. God is. He does not change. Hopelessness will change your hope. When you pray out of hopelessness, you begin to pray to a different God. When you respond to the hopelessness around you, you begin to react and respond to a different God. Suddenly God becomes less than because He didn't operate in the moment you needed Him to. Suddenly God becomes less than because He didn't operate the way you wanted Him to. Suddenly your prayers are affected because, well, if God let that happen in that Walmart right down the street, who is this God? I, knew, I thought He was a loving Father, but you let that happen. He's like, I didn't let that happen. That's the broken world that you live in. That's the hopelessness, but I am hope. I don't want them to find hope in this broken, lost world, this counterfeit, limited version of hope. I want them to find hope in me. A hope that brings you life. A hope that restores purpose in you. A hope that challenges you to step out what you, from what you've done. We don't do these prayers a lot at the end, but I just felt drawn to today to make this a personal moment. I want you to put your hands out like this. I believe God is positioned in the church in this season to be a gift of hope. <clears throat> First thing you have to realize is in this place right here, this is, this is your life. If you're willing to put all of it out there. I'm not going to bring the testimony mic around so you can tell all your ins and outs. I've already told mine. It's okay. <clears throat> Y'all can live vicariously through my story today. But I want you to first realize that there is hope even in your broken story. Because somebody out there hasn't made it as far as you've made it. Somebody out there staring down the barrel of that same gun and wondering if they could even do it or if they should even try. Some even literally staring down the barrel of that gun. <clears throat> and the first thing the enemy, the enemy of hopelessness, the voice of hopelessness will tell you is that can't be used. It will always be less than it's broken when it shouldn't have been. If you would have done this when you should have, then this wouldn't have happened. If you'd have been at the altar of incense, you might have got a word when Zechariah did, but you weren't. So then he begins to put hopelessness in us that we've done everything we can to mess this up and in some way have. Today in this place, I want you to begin to pray over this life that's in your hands. I want you to begin to pray over every step you've taken to get here. 
I want you to begin to release the control that it's had on you, on your hope, on your trust in God. The Bible says faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I believe God's going to work in the things that you didn't see in your life. And people are going to begin to take notice. Because Zechariah, I'm going to close your mouth. But at the right time, at the right place, I'm going to open it so somebody knows that I was there all along. Father, I thank you today for these lives that we are laying at your feet, these stories that we are presenting to you. Because, Father, we know that you are a God of hope and a God of abundance of hope. And I pray that our faith today would be in you, not in ourself. That our faith would be in you and not where we've come from. Our faith would be in where you're taking us and where you're positioning us and your perfect timing to be these spaces of hope. And as we lay this at your feet, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the areas that we need to call closer to you, the things we need to leave behind, the things that we need to let go, the things that will always limit us. If our faith is hopeless, then our testimony is hopeless. Now more than ever, Father, we thank you that you are a God of hope. And we pray that you continue to call us through the noise of the world, through the noise of shame and dysfunction, with an invitation to follow you. Father, I'm thankful today for your perfect timing, for your perfect calling. And I pray that we would hear your voice in this season now more than ever so we could be a beacon of light. That salt in the earth, that city on a hill. That when people are looking for hope, they would run to. When people feel like there's no hope, they would reach out to us because we were consistent at all times, operating for a kingdom of hope. Open our eyes, ears, and our hearts, Lord, to see you, receive you, so that we can love the world around us as you do, so we can be difference makers in the world around us just as you were. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. 